Hi, Daniel here. This week's episode of The Ripple is sponsored by Deps, a private Maven repository service that I run. I created Deps because I wanted to use a Maven repository to host my company's private artifacts, but I didn't want to have to run a server. There's all the hassle of setting it up, keeping it patched, monitoring it, backing everything up. It was just too much work. Deps provides a cloud-hosted Maven repository, so you can get back to focusing on what really matters. If you enjoy this podcast, consider supporting me by signing up for a trial at deps.co. Hello, welcome to The Ripple, a podcast diving into closure programs and libraries. This week, I'm talking about machine learning with Karen Meyer, the original author of Closure MXNet. Welcome to the show, Karen. Hi, great to be here. Hey, great to have you on. So you're pretty well known in the Closure community for your work on sort of different machine learning projects over the years. And the newest one, the one we talk about today, is Closure MXNet, which is built on top of Apache MXNet. So do you want to talk about sort of what is MXNet? What is Closure MXNet? So how do these pieces all fit together? Yeah, so um, MXNet is actually an Apache project incubating right now. We can go into what that means (laughs) a little bit later. But uh, it's a deep learning framework, maybe the most popular one right now that would be comparable to would be like TensorFlow. But this is the MXNet version of it. Some of the advantages of it is it's very efficient and it's uh, portable and it's it's really neat. So I think one of the things that I really like about it too is that it's one of the libraries, uh, frameworks for deep learning that has been adopted by uh, Amazon and it's used by AWS and they actually have a lot of um, support for it over there. So, you know, it's, it's a big major framework. And the closure package uh, provides closure bindings to use it. So you can, as a closurist, work with the framework in the language you like. Great. That seems pretty good selling points there. Is it fair to say like the two biggest would be TensorFlow and MXNet? Well, definitely the biggest one is uh, TensorFlow. And then under that, just because I think Python is so dominant in the space right now, which is, you know, one of my goals to, you know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> get closure up there, but uh, Python does have the dominant spot in there. So there's, I forget the exact ranking. Uh, MXNet is definitely in the top five, but you know, there's like PyTorch in there. I can't, can't remember. There's like Cafe and people rank them in, in various ways, but it's definitely a very big deep learning library. So framework. So you just, it depends on how you're going to compare them. Sure. Yeah. Uh, And so you talked about portability and I sort of see portability as having a few different dimensions. One is sort of where you can run it, but I guess the other one is what you can program it in. Uh, It's sort of a dimension of portability, I guess. And that's one of the interesting features of MXNet, whereas it's not, you know, like PyTorch where it's tied to Python rather than the name. So how do you have many different languages all writing to the same framework. Yeah, so that's that's one of the strengths of MXNet is that the core is actually a C library. So it's got this really tight core that has a TVM under the covers as one of its supports. And I, I listened to, I think Chris was on the podcast talking about TVM in, in one of your prior episodes. Yeah. So yeah, it kind of ties in there. But uh, the, so all core stuff, the core API is a full API and it's in C And uh, so it can have many other language bindings. So it's got Python, it's got uh, the other major ones are, well, Scala 
and now closure and then there's uh r and i think there's even a pearl one <laughs> so <laughs> and the nice thing is it's an even playing field so this is contrasted with uh i was talking to some fellow that's working with tensorflow and there is a c api and i think maybe it's some sort of java api i'm not sure but it's not everything it's just like a subset okay. so it's not on a fair playing field with all the other languages right and so how did you go about creating a closure bindings for the MXNet? See, that, was that a fair way just to talk about it? Yeah, it, it's, it's strange. People talk about bindings or like a package, but basically it's just a way that closure can run the API. So that's, <laughs> uh-huh. I guess they talk about C bindings, whatever, you know, it's kind of interchangeable. But yeah, it kind of started with, I went to this machine learning conference. I think it was last December. Not like in a year ago. <laughs> and it was called the Neural Information Processing Systems, but a huge, huge conference. And it was very interesting to me because I've always kind of been interested in machine learning and wanting to do some research. And one of the things I was interested in were the hot topic, which are these GANs or generative adversarial networks. And it's usually like a, an image component. You're taking an image of like training it on cats and, but then it can generate its own never before seen images of like new cats, which was like really cool to me. But there was at the time, there was no way that I could do this in closure. You could had to do it in Python. You had to do it in TensorFlow. And that made me really kind of sad. <laughs> so I was asking around in our, you know, our chat room and asking around, so how would I go about like doing this? And uh, I think one of the fellows at the time was um, Paul DeGrandis and uh, Ben Camphouse. You know, we were like, well, MXNet has Scala bindings and you can do it in Scala. And I was like, ick, no, I don't want to do it in Scala. <laughs> They're like, well, you can do Java interop. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. But then I actually tried it out, like just playing around with it. I found this really nice library that somebody had made called T6 that made translating the data structure is not so painful. So you could turn a, a vector into, you know, the Scala equivalent of a, you know, whatever their sequence is. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were some helpers who did that. And at the end of the day, really all I had to do was, you know, go and look through the closure reflect library, see what the Scala generated data structures were and just translate the inputs, to the outputs and, it wasn't totally simple, but there's a lot of glue and tricks, but um, you could put some niceties on top of it. And at, at the end of the day, you could actually use it and do something with it. So that made me very happy. So then I started just working on um, creating the rest of it and building the rest of it out so that people could use it. And just to be clear, so you've got Clojure sort of at the, the programmer end calling into Scala, which then calls down to the C bindings. Yes. Yeah, that's how that works. I had a similar reaction to you when I saw that it was going through through Scala. <laughs> that sort of just not that, you know, Scala's necessarily that bad on its own, but sort of closure to Scala to, to C binding. It just something doesn't feels a little bit natural, but Well, I looked at I was like, Well, what if I just go to the C bindings directly? I can totally do that, right? But there was a lot more to that. So I started trying to build out the um, C bindings. And the C bindings, uh, you have a core 
Um, it gives you the, like the lower level parts to the library, but there are some higher level structures and libraries that have all like a lot of work and time have gone into building that on top of the base. So I'd have to like redo all that. So I didn't like that just because it was just me working on it. And I was looking at the time to get something working for me to build it from scratch would be probably a year. And then looking to see how, um, so that people at Amazon are contributing their time to working on the package and they're continually working on that and making that better, right? <laughs> and I would be continually getting farther and farther behind feature parity. So I knew that that really wasn't going to happen with me and you know the time that I had to put into it. Uh, so I chose to build on the Scala stuff because that way I could leverage what they're doing as well <laughs> and get to actually have something working faster. Great. Sounds very sensible. But it doesn't you know, eliminate the possibility in the future if enough people and it gets popular enough and people want to go down to the metal. You can't do that. So Yeah. So you started off sort of doing this you know, on your own, just out of curiosity, you wanted to make cat pictures, essentially, or maybe that's slightly apocryphal. But, you know, how did you get from that point to today where Clojure MXNet is in the GitHub repo with the rest of the MXNet project? Yeah, that part I'm really pleased with. So on a personal note, I've never wanted to have a successful open source library by myself. <laughs> that, that is one of my goals. <laughs> But I wanted this to exist and I wanted it to be useful and for people to use it. So I wanted to, as one of my very beginning goals, I wanted to contribute it and have it grow within a framework that other people could become part of it on an equal footing with me. And it could grow organically and grow with a project and be part of it. So from the very get-go, I opened an issue and after talking to some, there actually some, an AWS booth at the deep learning conference. And I asked them, Hey, would you be as interested in a closure package? And they're like, you know, I, I guess open an issue. <laughs> so <laughs> I, said, I got one thumbs up and I was like, okay, I'm good to go. The community has been great. So I opened up with a pull request and I had some great people from the community testing it out. Uh, making sure that it worked on Linux, on the various flavors of Linux, and um, finding troubles with it, testing it, and reviewing my pull request to get it into the in the main project. And that's been great. And since then, you know, people have ended up contributing to the project, and it's um, it's just really nice. It's the way I like to work. I like to work very collaboratively with people. I'm not one of these people that I, you know, I just. I like to work alone on things. <laughs> so I'm very happy where that is. And actually, we have a really good relationship with the Scala developers on the project, too. We have like a, a closure Scala room and the Apache MXNet and then a, a <laughs> I'm sorry, well, the MXNet Scala and then the MXNet Closure. But we're, we're both encouraged to be in both rooms because we do, you know, collaborate together between the Scala and the closure side and help each other as well. Is there any uh, sort of particularly tricky sort of closure to Scala-isms that you had to translate across or was that, how did that part of things go? Yeah, so that's just a little bit kind of an experiment. Um, I hadn't really known Scala before I started on the, the project. So 
you know, learning how to translate the data structures was a bit of a learning curve to me. But at the end, uh, you know, I, I got pretty fluent at you know reading a piece of Scala code and and translating it to Clojure. So there are like a little bit of tricks, but we have them all in a namespace as helpers. <laughs> so you only really have to know the trick once and then you can reuse it. Nice. So can you sort of talk about the machine learning workflow that you might use with MXNet and sort of, I guess, maybe also a bit more broadly, like if you're you know, someone doing machine learning development, like what is the process from going from, you know, I've got an idea to you know, something running in production, serving things to end users. How would people see that process go? Yeah. So, I mean, there's the the development and, and the training of your of your models. Um, so that's more of an exploratory um, side of things that you would do with, you know, part of the data. And, you know, there's a whole lot of other machine learning tools that you might bring to bear over it and like Kixi stats and, and other things like that and looking at the data. Exploring it. Once you get past the training and the models, and you're like, "Oh, I've got one that I really want to use," then you can go ahead and deploy it and put it into tie it into the rest of your code and data flow. And this is where I think you know that it's, it's really advantageous to have access to this all in a language that you use with your other stack and on the JVM as well, and also tightly integrated into well. It's very available on AWS (laughs) and so many applications are now are AWS and in the cloud. It's just, this is very, very handy. Yeah. The beginning bit is training, exploration, and then the integration bit is just all data flows and engineering into your programs, which is, you know, kind of what we do all the day. Sure. And so we talked a bit about AWS MXNet and so concretely, how would you take sort of something written in Clojure MXNet or, you know, using the Clojure MXNet package, how does it get from there to serving, you know, stuff out of AWS? What services, which uh, AWS services can you use for that? Well, I mean, it's just a jar. Okay. So (laughs) at the end of the day, um, you know, the Clojure MXNet is just a jar. So wherever you want to put your jar, Great. If it's in EC2 or Lambdas or, you know, wherever. So you can just build an Uber jar and away you go? Yep. That's it. Great. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The other thing that um, I guess I'll, I'll touch on too is the portability of models. There's this Onyx format now, which is like this open, I forget what the actual acronym is, but basically it's um, an open format, serialization format for models. So if there is like a really cool one on TensorFlow or you have trained on TensorFlow or PyTorch or whatever, you can export that um, into an Onyx format and then import it into MXNet as well. So that that gives you another layer of portability. Great. Yeah, that seems really nice. And so when you're working at doing your development of these uh, models, can you use the Ripple with them? Do you get kind of the same interactive flow? Yes, that- that's the best part, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're doing all this, so you can use the Ripple. <laughs> so yes, yes and yes. And so you just run it with a smaller batch? Because sometimes these can take a while to, to train still. Yeah, definitely um, run with a, a small small batch um, while you're developing things. That's always a good practice. 
Great. And so I see you've used closure spec in in a few places. Is there anything sort of interesting there that you've found using that? Does it catch many issues? Well, I'm using it, you know, it could be in more places, but we're using it mostly to, you know, spec the inputs and outputs to the the main API to help people know what keywords are required, you know, and the, the usual stuff. So that's very useful from that sort of usability. And it does, it does catch errors. I mean, it's great that way. Yeah. I have more ambitious <laughs> desires to use spec in some like researchy things. Cause I think that it would be a neat way to integrate machine learning and data sets into our regular programming world. So I'm still thinking about how to do that <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's one of the things, like I had written down this idea like a year ago, I wanted to do it. <laughs> and so I'm still working on it. I'd be very keen to see anything that you come out in that area. It sounds pretty useful. Yeah, it's on my New Year's resolutions. We'll see if I get to it. <laughs> so what kind of issues are people likely to run into if they want to start sort of experimenting with this? Are there any sharp edges still in the in the ecosystem with MXNet? So it's still a relatively new library. So we're, we're definitely interested in people's experience and feedback and trying to make that learning curve easier to get started. I think the easiest way to get started is using the jars because it's it's just a, a jar to get the actual distribution of it. It's on Maven Central. It's actually from the Apache repo in the, in the Closure MX net. But it does include some system-specific builds. So there's a jar for OSX CPU. There's a jar for the Linux CPU, and then for the Linux GPU. So it's got to have some native bindings in it as well. So um, you do have to have the right versions of things installed to make it play nicely, but those are all pretty much well-documented. There's a nice install page on the main site. So if you install those dependencies, you should be good. And there's also a readme in the Closure project so if you go to the repo and you look, there's a contrib closure directory. And that's actually an important thing to bring up right now. We are not a top level language binding yet. We are still in the contrib area. So this gives us some time to stabilize, to make sure that um, you know we have a good base and we feel comfortable with the, with the whole library um, and language bindings from the closure side before we graduate it into the top level language bindings. So we have a few more things to accomplish and then we're going to see about seeing if we can graduate. <laughs> Exciting. And then MXNet itself is in the Apache incubator. Would you want to tell us what that is? Yeah. So it's incubating. The whole project itself is incubating. So we're incubating within the incubator. <laughs> we're like, it's like recursively. But this is the way to that all new projects that want to be Apache come through. So they all come through this incubator process. And you can read about it if you're interested in, in all the details, but there's quite a process with it. You have to, they have a champion and all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is make sure that it adheres and runs to all the Apache standards and the processes. 
So you have, you know, all the dependencies are compatible. All the releases are like you do Apache releases. And what's very important to me too, is that the community is a very friendly and inclusive and consensus seeking (laughs) organization. Um, You know, it's got all that sort of project structure around it. And once that project has achieved that Apache way and Apache standard, then it can graduate. So it's still through that process. Is that nearby then? It seems because it seems like MXNet is such a mature, widely used project that. Uh... Yeah, yeah. So, so actually, I have the privilege of um, I got voted in as a committer and I'm part of the um, project management committee. So I get. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is really cool. So we're, we're in charge. It's called the Podlink because we're part of a Podlink now. So I'm on the Podlink project management and we help like shape the project and um, make sure that it's, it's growing in the correct way and help bring in new committers and, you know, vote on releases, vote on issues, all that sort of good stuff. But yeah, so it's in the community growth phase right now. So we're really trying to bring new committers into the organization and you know just make it very useful and easy to get started with. So yes, yeah, so if, if you're interested in getting involved in a real FOSS, you know, <laughs> FOSS, <laughs> FOSS project, this is truly a good one to get involved in. So, you know, I have no sort of deep learning or neural network backgrounds and I imagine, you know, many closure programmers don't. Are there still opportunities for them to do things to contribute to uh, the Closure MXNet package? Yeah, I mean, this is, I think, one of the great things about, you know, the open source software sphere of things is that you can come into it with, you know, what you have to offer and then what you want to get out of it too. So if you are interested in learning more about deep learning and machine learning, and this is like a great opportunity to get your feet wet you know, you could start off with documentation or small fixes. As you get into it, you'll learn more and you're helping out along the way. So that's what I've really always loved about you know, just open source generally. You can learn and help and contribute at the same time. It helps it helps everyone. Great. So if someone wants to get involved, should they turn up to the issue tracker or closure in Slack or where's kind of the, the entry point? for this? Yeah. So, so there's a main project Jira, which I really don't use. (laughs) 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 So probably don't go there, but uh, I try, I try to put some issues on the uh, main page and tag them as closure. And there were, I have to look out there, there, I do have some labeled as good first issues. Um, But if you don't see any out there or you just, you know, want some hints of where to get started, there are two places to go. We have a room in the Clojurian Slack, which is MXNet. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a Slack on the Apache software ASF site. Mm-hmm. To get into that one, you need to send a and just an email to the dev at, I think it's Apache MX. I'll make sure that you have it in the notes. But then they'll give you an invite into the ASF Slack, which is nice because you have a history there and you don't lose history, <laughs> which is kind of the pain points with the Clojarian Slack. Um, 
But uh, yeah, we have a Closure MX net room there as well as a Scala MX net room. So I hang out there. So if you ever need any you know, help or pointers or whatever, I'm happy to give you a direction. Great. So we talked a lot about Closure MXNet, but can you give us sort of a, a survey of what else is in the Closure machine learning uh, space that people might want to be looking at? Sure. I, I've been sort of tunnel vision lately. I'll just disclaimer in the past year because I've been really focused on this and I haven't really looked out to other things, but there is deep learning for J and I think there are, there's a package for closure for that. I haven't really played around with that too much, but I think now that you have the abilities to do stuff like GANs in there as well. So um, you can look in there. There's a flare library and I think you can do like a lot of text stuff, text like T E X. If you want to do some some stuff with that, and like I said, I haven't checked into it lately. And then there's um, XG Boost. I think there's a. Yep. I just saw that coming out, and I'm sure there's some other stuff out there that I that I haven't really been paying attention to for deep learning. You know, I'm deeply involved, obviously, with Closure MXNet, and um, I invite other people to get involved. But just more generally, just I think. Any way you want to get involved to get into the the field of machine learning and have closure be a player in this, I think is a great thing. So however you want to do it, whether you want to work on the you know the the close to the metal sort of stuff like uh, Chris Nuremberg was working with with TBM or like the high level stuff or mid level stuff, please do. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really like about. Closure's reach with the JVM is that, you know, on their own, as you said, you know, writing writing this kind of stuff from scratch or even interoperating with the C bindings, the closure community is just so much smaller than most other language communities. And we kind of have no if we just have to do it by sheer force of will and hours put into it, I think we're probably <laughs> we're gonna be uh, always behind. But I really like that, you know, we can uh, piggyback on Scala or Java or you know, all of these other contributions that other people are making and keep closure as a you know, viable and useful option with some really strong points like the REPL for development. I know. It's almost like somebody designed it that way. <laughs> yeah. It's Rich's uh, decision. You know, 10 years ago, Java, I don't know, maybe my memory is a little bit, a little bit bad, but 10 years ago, Java was perhaps a little bit passe. I would get, at least certainly in some circles, you know, the, the JVM was, was heavyweight. It was sort of enterprise Java. Was sort of the the impression people had when you said Java. But you know that's uh, proven to be a very a very good. I don't want to say bet because I, I don't feel like it was a it was a gamble. But um, certainly that that choice has really paid off pretty well. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention on the other libraries, um, Cortex. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so in the front, you know, I, it's so obvious. I just forgot to say it. But um, yeah, so that is another library that um, people can check out too. I don't think there's any active development on it right now, but it's certainly fully functioning and it's great for image recognition and it's from the ground up closure. Oh, wow. So. Great. So programmers as a class, you know, even if you're not doing deep learning neural network stuff, if you're sort of, you know, paying attention to Hacker News or Reddit or wherever sort of tech stuff is talked about, you're probably going to see something about machine learning and AI kind of every other day at least. So people, I, th- I imagine, are getting aware of 
of the capabilities of of this stuff but are there things that people don't realize yet or that they haven't really fully internalized sort of what's already capable not just kind of where things could go in the future but like today what what can be done with ai yeah so there's a couple dimensions that i mean there's the overhyped bit <laughs> that you hear about like all the time so if you discount all the you know robots coming to eat your lunch with blockchain um <laughs> sort of talk <laughs> Uh, then you can get down to what really it can do. And I think that's one of the, the kind of the main challenges a lot of businesses are having nowadays is, is how to apply it, you know, because it's not, it's not really intuitive a lot of what is a hard problem for machine learning or an inappropriate problem for machine learning and AI and what is a good problem for it. So if you aim it at the right thing with the right data set, you know, you can get a lot of power out of it and maybe like two lines of code right now. But if you ask it to do a very, what you think would be a simple job, you know, a human can do that. Can't we just replace what this human is doing? No, that's like a five-year research project still. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not as out there as, as your you know, regular person that doesn't have a deep understanding of, you know, the ins and outs of it would, would know. But, you know, that doesn't stop people from using it <laughs> in inappropriate ways. <laughs> no. um, but, but yeah, the thing that I'm excited about with Clojure is just that we have such a different way of thinking about, I think, programming generally and these tools that we have, you know, with Clojure spec and just our mindset. I think that as we use it, I think I can see a lot of innovation coming out of the closure space. And actually, that's one of the things um, um, Hinton, who is, is kind of the godfather of AI, he was uh, kind of hinting that we're in, a, we're in sort of a local minimum with um, <laughs> the current state of deep learning. And, you know, they're trying to make it more accurate in these certain narrow categories and, you know, faster and we really need more fundamental innovations. And I think that closure can be a really important tool to do that. So, Great. So I don't have a lot of machine learning background, but I do have uh, two young children who I'm watching learning you know, every day. And I've had a few funny experiences with them, which sort of make me sort of think a little bit about the parallels with machine learning the first one was my one-year-old. We've been sort of teaching him to say goodnight to everyone in the room. And so, you know, you know, say goodnight, wave to everybody and go to bed. And I thought, and, you know, we'd done this for a few nights and he would wave good goodnight as we put him to bed. And then one day it was just me and him in the lounge as I was putting him to bed. And so I picked him up to say, you know, uh, to go to bed. And he starts waving to nobody in particular and kind of what what he'd learned was not sort of the, the full concept of waving goodnight to the other people in the room, but just sort of waving your arms when you're going off to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's all sorts of cool stuff. And and actually that's that's one of the areas um there's like reinforcement learning, which is this this whole field of, you know, trying to give the the computer rewards to learn a certain behavior. And I think there's a whole webpage of how it learned 
in yes. unexpected ways, right? <laughs> yeah. So like if you're trying to teach it how to go the fastest, like a thing to walk the fastest or run the fastest, like it would learn how to like fall down like really well, like be really tall and fall down. So you'd have a lot of <laughs> velocity and <laughs> anyway, <laughs> just yeah. weird, weird things like that. The other funny one is my my slightly older son, who's about three. Uh, we read books together, and I will sort of be reading the book with him, and then uh, yeah, I will sometimes pause on the last last word of of the sentence, and he will try and say the word. Um, but often he he will get it like the context is correct, but he's used. Sometimes he'll get the word right, but sometimes he'll get it wrong because he's looking at the pictures or sort of what we've talked about, but he's not hearing the rhymes in the sentences. And you know, you can think, or he's memorized some of it already. So again, it sort of looks like he knows how to read if you give him like the right uh, <laughs> the, the right books. Um, but then as soon as you know he, he hits sort of something unusual, he's falling back to sort of a different heuristic than the one it looks like he is actually using. So I really enjoyed that uh, paper on the funny ways that reinforcement learning can give you unintentional results of, <laughs> I'll put a link to that because um, I, I really enjoyed uh, reading that one. Yeah, that is good. Yeah. I mean, you can learn a lot from, you know, the AI field about watching by watching your kids grow up. I mean, that's a firsthand way of doing it. So there's another kind of important part of machine learning, which gets some attention, but uh, I think it's probably worth talking about here to kind of help people become aware of what the issues are. And that's sort of the bias that can be built into machine learning systems. Uh, so can you talk about kind of what, what the issues are there and, and how perhaps we can address them or at least try and be aware of the biases? What? There's bias? How can, how can there be bias? <laughs> it's, a, it's a machine program. It doesn't have any bias. No. <laughs> but yes, that, 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 but that's what everybody thought about at the beginning, right? So we're at a good point right now where people are actually, you know, realizing <laughs> the problems <laughs> and making appropriate steps. So, um, yeah, I mean, lo lots of people have talked about a machine learning bias. So I won't I won't pretend to go into um, as, as much detail and, and coverage as they did, but it is a problem. And knowing that there is a problem is the first step. And one of the problems I mean, it comes from your data. But I think to combat that, I mean, you're going to have to look at a lot more of why is your data bad? And the answer of that a lot of times is is maybe it's hard to get good data, I don't have enough resources to make my data sets fair. I just want to get this task done. <laughs> um, I mean, that's kind of like a hard, that's like a business problem to solve at that level. Like, you know, there's incentive to make your data sets fair, but how do you give everybody the incentive to do it? I guess that's it's more of a human problem and a business problem. I think it's great that we know that there's a problem. And uh, as technologists, we know sort of how to address it. I think the larger thing is going to be to get people to actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> and all the things of why, why they might not want to do it from a business standpoint as well. So 
Um, there are some steps being made in that direction. A lot of the the big data sets that people use for models for base training, they are now like Google and, and other big people. They're they're using their resources to make their standardly available data sets reduce the bias in those. So that's a good first step. And that would make it easier, obviously, for businesses to say, oh, well, you know, I want to use this data set that's already you know, had the effort to put into it to reduce bias. That's great. But yeah. <laughs> so is there anybody you'd like to thank in building Closure MXNet? Well, there's so many people that have contributed directly and indirectly. I have a whole big thank you on the readme page of people that, that um, helped get into. And, and lately there have been some contributors. Yes. I don't know how to say their names precisely because I always, you know, it's like on GitHub, you see their names. Yeah. And I don't know how to pronounce them. <laughs> I hesitate because I don't want to butcher their names. <laughs> but um, yeah, if you just go to the Closure MX project and look at the pull requests and look on the closure tag, I'm going to thank all those people because <laughs> they've been great. And I'm sorry I'm not brave enough to butcher your name. <laughs> so, but no, we've had some, some great support. What's notable there is I'm just looking at the list of commits and it looks like there's you know just about a different name on every line. It's a very wide range of people. It's not just one or two. There's, there's, there's yeah, a lot of people yeah. involved there. Yeah, and also, um, you know, shout out to um, Ben Campus uh, at Cognitect. He's he's given me a lot of guidance. He's had a lot more machine learning experience than me, so he's helped kind of mentor me and um, you know finding my way around. And he also helps out with some guidance of of what to do with the MXNet project as well. So I think thank him. Great. So I look forward to seeing uh, the closure package graduate from Contrib and then MXNet graduate into a top-level package. Ooh, that would be exciting. So we'll have a big party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on and talking about this. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too.